Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. We are coming to you live from the Paradise Valley in Montana. If you don't know where that is, where the hell have you been? It's near Livingston, Montana. Um, and for those of you who are online and seeing, yes, we did. Kathy and I found a home. I have a new office. Uh, you're going to see a really cool space where it's not going to be this bed with a big blanket behind me and my clothes all thrown over on the floor as I'm living in an Airbnb right now for the last two months. So it's going to be all new and shiny and different. We have a great show for you tonight, sponsored by Chris Daniel Family Dentistry, where everyone is welcome. Doesn't matter about your vaccination status. It doesn't matter about your age, your religion, your sexual orientation. Everyone is invited because you need to get your dental care taken care of. So that's what they do there. Um, other other top, who else is our sponsor? Oh, Albert Taylor, uh, Endless Possibilities, an organization that takes care of folks with different abilities. Um, gives them a life, gives them a great place, uh, get, lets them do the things they want to do. We're going to hear a little teeny clip from some of that a little bit later in the show. We also have Jessica Gomez. Um, if you haven't heard of her, where have you been? She's running for governor here in Oregon. She has a great story. She's out of Medford and she's a really smart woman. And so we're going to bring her on in just a little bit and uh, you'll get to hear from her and maybe ask her some questions if you'd like to. And then we have Alan Thayer coming up really soon because I don't know if you guys pay attention, but I'm paying attention because I'm flying back to Oregon next week and I don't want to wear a stupid mask on an airplane. And then the Biden administration extended it to May 3rd. So coming home, I won't have to. But because of Mr. Biden, once again, and every time he opens his mouth, my interest rate goes up. So Joe Biden, shut your mouth. Don't get back on TV and say anything. Every time you talk, my interest rate starts popping up. I'm locking in today. So just go, go to bed. Just sleep. Do something. But stay out of my life. You're costing me money, you. Oh, in, in more ways than one. Um, God, shh, shh, quiet. Here's our own. Who puts up with this? That's what I don't understand. Bring the lion out. Bring the, bring the lion. Um, tonight on our show, we're going to have... Hey guys, don't you think it's kind of fun that you get to comment on the news? Yeah, there's a cost. Oh yeah, there's a cost. People come after you. Like, I think that's why this is so much fun is because... We'll see you at five. And Long Rich, you know what? You're right. A judge overturned the mask mandate today. Um, and um, at, But at this point, as I'm hearing, American and United Airlines are still allegedly, this is just what I'm hearing online. I'm not a news source for you, uh, but I heard they're ignoring the judge's order, probably afraid. Um, so I called my friend Alan Thayer, who's an attorney in town. He read over some of the documents. And Alan, welcome. It's good to have you here. Well, uh, good to see you, Rick. And uh, hey, I'm really glad to hear that you soon won't be homeless any longer. This homeless population's been a real problem. <laughs> it's not only homelessness in Eugene; it's homelessness all over Oregon, and now it's here me. And but I chose my homelessness. Well, some of them do too. Well, yeah, anyway, there we go. Getting into controversy again. I started up again. Oh my gosh! So, Alan. So today what happens is a Florida judge voids the U.S. mask mandate for planes and other travel. Um, I saw where the Biden administration is saying, well, we're, get, we're looking into some other things that we can bring up to the table. But right now it seems like where, where does this go? What does that mean to people now? 
Well, the real interesting thing was that decision came down and I heard of that decision while my daughter was in the air coming, going back from Eugene to the San Diego airport to go back to college. She came home for, for uh, Easter and uh, I texted her and uh, she was texting from the plane. I texted her to take her mask off, uh, but I don't think she did. So what is it? What what does it mean? Is it, does it depend on what the airlines decide they're going to do, or is it too soon to tell? Well, you know, the, there's a question here, and it's the mandate that was set aside by the judge, at least for now. Uh, but the individual airlines can still go ahead and do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, and the leadership of many corporations, as we've seen, they they think it's good to be woke. And um, and so they may they may continue to require it, even if the Department of Transportation and the Centers for Disease Control uh, no longer uh, impose that mandate. Because this is something people haven't really been watching, because I, I was reading on this case and I talked to an expert with Flyers Rights, uh, Mr. Paul Hudson. I'm going to try to get him on tomorrow night. But he was saying this is a case that happened last July and people, the media, you know, like because they're too busy, you know, talking about something trivial like, um, you know, the, what Will Smith did or something. And um, so they're not paying attention to this, but this has been coming down. And he says now this all of a sudden and I, I'm reading online where now that, you know, the the, the uh, legacy media is just attacking this judge and and I'm seeing people on my pages coming on and going, you know, the cases are going up in Europe and all this kind of stuff. But it's like when a judge rules, it's funny that the law just doesn't matter anymore. It's, so it seems. Well, it, it really does uh, seem that way. And we've been seeing it. And I, too, have seen the attacks on this judge. And one of the the, the uh, American Bar Association, when she was appointed by President Trump, uh, they give their opinion, and it was their opinion that she was not qualified for the for the job. But the reason why they claim she wasn't qualified is because she never had trial experience. As an attorney, she was not a litigator. Well, guess what? There's lots of lawyers who are experts in lots of different areas that that never go to court. And I can tell you there are justices sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court and sitting on the Court of Appeals and sitting on U.S. District Court who did not have prior trial experience. And it's not important that the lawyer know, or that the judge know how to try a case, but it's important that the judge know how to interpret the law. And I have read her 59-page opinion in, in the last hour, and uh, um, I, I haven't I haven't read the briefs. I I, uh, I didn't uh, participate or listen to the oral arguments, but at least on its face, the judge's reasoning seems quite sound. And in fact, in her opinion, she's uh, quoting opinions by former uh, Chief Justice Thorogood Marshall, who was the um, the liberal icon on the court. And where at one time they are worried about abuse of federal power, and that was true back in the Marshall years. Uh, now they say, well, now that we're in position, we want to go ahead and abuse the power. Why are you stopping us? Um, it's interesting. And I imagine there will be commentators who question her analysis, but the people who have been criticizing her now, it's, it's kind of the typical thing. Let's call someone names rather than address the 
the specifics of the argument that they're advancing. Right. Well, what I find really, really interesting and so hypocritical, when do you ever hear the media going after a Biden appointed judge or a Clinton appointed judge? You never start off the sentence with a Clinton appointed judge or an Obama appointed judge, but they just... Donald Trump is like a big booger on their finger and they sh they just can't get it off. So everything, anything that he touches is so funny is, you know, whether you like him or you don't like him, he sure has impacted every aspect of our life. And these people just can't let it go. It's like well, there's no doubt that he's occupying serious real estate in their heads. Um, oh, God. But, I don't even think about him. I don't I never I'm sorry. I don't have a crush on Donald Trump. I never think about. I don't have a man crush on the guy. I never think about him at all. And it's like I read the articles and I'm going, oh, my God, everything is I appointed judge by Donald Trump. Oh, well, then she's obviously tainted. And that's what you're trying to do to the story. And I'm a former journalist. That's a no, no. You do not do that. You can't do that. That's well, they also do that with Bush appointed judges and Reagan appointed judges. Um, anyone appointed by a Republican must be bad. Yeah. So we're going to have to just wait this out and see kind of what happens to figure it out. Is that what you're telling me? Well, this isn't the first time that a CDC rule has been struck down. The CDC used yeah. a, a particular statute for three different purposes. And first of all, it was to ban cruise ship travel. And then, then they also used it to uh, prevent uh, uh, landlords from evicting tenants if the tenants choose not to pay. And they all used the same statutory authority. And then the third one was the mask mandates. And now each of those three, three rulings have been held to be uh, unenforceable under the same statute and I suspect that the Biden administration will not appeal this, but I'll suspect that they are doing what they did with uh, some of the OSHA requirements is, well, we'll come back and try to figure out another way to do it. Right. Um, and, and so far they haven't. And, and all that really matters is if the, if the, if the public scares the airlines or make, you know, makes it, but the airlines don't want this. They've been trying to fight it as I've been reading. And it's like, but when, it, when pressure, public pressure comes on, and people get out there. It's like, you know what? It becomes, doesn't matter if it's legal or if it's the law or it violates the law. If people and culture supports it and the big companies don't have the balls to stand up to it and say, we're going to do this, then it'll keep, it'll just hang on and hang on. And oh, God, it drives me crazy. Well, the, the mass case I've been excited about, uh, but, but I don't think it, there hasn't been a ruling yet, is one filed by a number of pilots. Uh, 10 pilots, most of them are Southwest pilots, uh, but they get into the argument that, that the masks are experimental, emergency use authorized, and you can't force someone to use a um, emergency use authorized medical device, which, which actually relates back to the vaccination requirement as well. And if I were the Biden administration, I would think losing this case would be a lot better than losing the case by the Southwest airline pilots. Yeah. Well, if you were in the Biden administration, we wouldn't have inflation. We wouldn't have. We'd be able to buy gas for two bucks a gallon. <laughs> Alan, thank you so much for um, coming on quick notice uh, as you did. And then um, email me about that other topic because yes, I want to do that in the first week of May. 
we'll bring that on. Okay. Hey, good to see you. Congratulations on the house. Good job. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm going to be homeful or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, buddy. So one of our sponsors is Albert Taylor, Endless Possibilities, and they're such an awesome group. And I talked to Mark recently about the why. You know, Simon always talks about the why you do what you do. And I think a lot of people right now are tired of their, 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 they've seen through COVID, you've seen that, you know, life is short and you, you got to live as you live. And they're tired of doing jobs they don't like. They want a meaningful job where they come home at the end of the day. And it may have been hard, but they knew they did something of value. So, you know, Simon Sinek is very popular these days with why. Well, the why and DD, uh, not a lot of ambiguity there. Okay. You know, I don't have to spend a lot of time explaining to new employees what we do and why we do it. It's very, very apparent, you know, versus, you know, you look at other things and, you know, you, you look at it and say, you know, kind of what do we do? You know, why do we matter? Um, you know, why should I, why should I feel good about my, my job every day? And I think that that is something that we provide for people is that, that, that connection to a why that what you're doing makes a difference to the individuals, to the larger community is very, very, very clear. And I, and I think, I think in this world with all the turmoil and everything that's going on, that sense of purpose and connection is very, very important. I think there's a lot of people out there looking for that. Hey there, from the News Radio, 1120 AM and 93.7 FM KPNW Studios, also known as Hee Haw Land. I'm Bill London, and here's a look at some of the stories we're following. So you might call this a stealth homeless act. And here's how this works. Now, the city of Eugene tonight is having a meeting discussing a proposal to increase the fines and add the penalty of potential jail time for unauthorized use of city streets. Now, according to the city staff reports, and I'm going to quote them, increasingly staff have received requests for service from the public concerning unauthorized uses of spaces within the curb line of city streets. It says, including the storage of materials, the staging of construction activities, or the placement of tents or other non-vehicular shelters. I think the implication there is pretty direct. They say, when unauthorized use of the portions of the streets reserved for vehicular traffic pose an immediate safety hazard, the Eugene Police Department has found that a $250 fine isn't an effective penalty to compel people to leave. According to the staff report, the council is going to discuss increased penalties for willful violation of the city code during a meeting tonight at 7 p.m. Now, the code amendment would define willful as a violation that wasn't remedied after an individual peace officer actually went out and made contact about the safety hazard. So the proposal is calling for a maximum $500 fine and 10 days in jail or both. 
Taking a look at politics, businesses and unions and individuals are spending furiously on ballot measures that may or may not make it to the November ballot. To date, the ballot measure backers have amassed about $2.5 million, and they've spent at this point more than half of it, according to state campaign finance disclosures. And more than 90% of that money is concentrated on just three concepts. One, punishing lawmakers, read that as Republicans, who walk out on the job to allow grocery stores to sell hard liquor and the legalization of selling and buying of sex and sex-related services. Welcome to Oregon. The most money behind a proposal is the one that would bar lawmakers who miss 10 or more floor sessions without permission from serving in the legislature in their next term. Public employee unions have dumped more than a million dollars to get that on the ballot, and their chief aim, punish Republican lawmakers who walked out during the 2019, 20, and 21 sessions. So the number of COVID cases in Oregon appears to be climbing over the last few weeks, but state health experts say they expected it, and there's no need to worry. Although that said, Oregon right now has moved into the top 20 states of the fastest uh, states with the fastest spreading cases of COVID. At this point, Peter Graven with the Oregon Health Authority said, or with the Oregon Health and Sciences University, said the increase comes as Oregonians no longer have to wear masks in public places and kids are back in school. He said the recent increase is caused by the same variant of COVID that caused the last spike, which would be Omicron. Graven says that while the number of people getting COVID is increasing, he says those people are not suffering as severe symptoms and they won't end up likely in the hospital. Well, a group of far-left rioters vandalized and caused heavy damage in North Portland on Saturday night. They broke windows, they did graffiti, they lit arson fires, and... It's just more fun in Portland. The group gathered around 8 p.m. Saturday at Peninsula Park, and they began to march about an hour later. A flyer that was posted on social media said the gathering was a planned march to demand justice for Patrick Lyalia, a 26-year-old black man who was shot and killed by a police officer on April 4th during a scuffle in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes, Grand Rapids, Michigan is listening to rioters in Portland. Some suspects vandalized a coffee shop on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. They broke out the windows and then started launching explosive devices at the building. One bank was defaced with graffiti. Another had all of its windows broken out, while three bus shelters were lit on fire. The group then made their way to the North Portland Police Precinct, where they started an arson fire in a dumpster, and the officers tried to put it out with fire extinguishers. They couldn't do it, so they had to bring the fire department in. They also say that numerous street signs were either graffitied or actually torn down. No arrests have been made, police said, but their investigation is continuing, and even if they continue the investigation, and let's say they arrested all of them, well, the Multnomah County DA wouldn't press charges. So Planned Parenthood is renting medical office space in the town of Ontario on the Oregon-Idaho border. Planned Parenthood isn't confirming its plans for the space, but has said it's preparing for an influx of out-of-state patients seeking abortions in Oregon because of multiple legal challenges to abortions. Earlier this year, 
Planned Parenthood successfully lobbied the Oregon legislature to set aside $15 million in an uh, unrestricted fund to pay for quote-unquote reproductive health of -of out-of-staters. Now, that includes putting them up in hotels, motels, paying for their procedures and the like. That clinic in Ontario is about an hour's drive from Boise, Idaho, and Planned Parenthood says it'll be a significant high desert outpost for access to abortions. All right, that said, join me tomorrow morning along with Rob Holloway on the Wake Up Call starting at 6 o'clock. We're going to do a replay in the 6 a.m. hour of our interview that happened this morning with none other than Betsy Johnson. We spent a little over a half an hour with her this morning. Give you a chance to hear what she had to say. We'll talk about uh, the way that the Democrats and the Republicans are attacking her in regards to some of her votes. And kind of interesting, nobody is talking about this. Two years ago, Betsy Johnson was a sponsor of a bill to do away with even-numbered years legislative sessions. Mm Mm-hmm. And we talked about that, and she'll tell you why. That's coming up tomorrow morning. Now, real Rick. Get real, Rick. Ricky Real. Real Rollis. We do a lot of crowns and we do really good crowns. Um, and it's funny, a patient asked me the other day, is like, how are you giving such cheap crowns? And, and I think they think that maybe I'm having like lesser quality. I have really good quality crowns and we do really good work. And we're, we charge, if you don't have insurance, we charge 998 bucks. So if, let's say you break a tooth and you know you need a crown, you can call us and that's how much you're paying. Um, uh, you're not gonna, we're not gonna charge you all these add-ons. You don't, want a, you don't want a crown that breaks. I don't want stuff from China. Uh, it's a local lab. Uh, they're phenomenal. You're gonna come in the chair, we're not gonna charge you for a limited exam, x-ray, um, a core build up in a crown. We're gonna ch- charge you 998. So 998, and to get that 998, you have to mention that you saw it on Get Real with Rick Dancer, and Dr. Ratlin will honor that for you. So now joining me is Jessica Gomez. Jessica, thank you for being here. Yeah, Um, thanks for having me. So Bill London's having Betsy on in the morning, and we're having you on tonight. So that we're we're just getting everybody all over the place here. There you go. So I'm excited to have you because I remember when you first jumped in the race, I thought, wow. This must be one of the first politicians that's run for governor that I can think of that actually understands one of Oregon's biggest issues right now because you were homeless as a teenager. Yeah, it was a really uh, tough time of my life. You know, it's funny when you run for politics, they sit you in this room and your team sits down and they said, we want to know everything there is to know about you. And you, so you tell your story for about four hours and then they pick out all of the things that you never really want to talk about. And they say, those are the things we're going to talk about. Um, and that happened to be one of them. It was a really tough time. It was, so you, how did you, and then you end up by what, 24, 25, something like that. You are CEO of a small uh, company. So yeah. I mean, you, you really kind of understand how to turn your life around. What would, What did you do? How did you do that? You know, you don't do it alone, right? I had a lot of help, um, but it's it's good decision making. It's the right support, um, and it's not giving up and not believing that you can't do it, right? It, and and there's this element of I believe, you know, feeling that sense of responsibility 
to do to do what you can um, to do a good job, to be a good example for others in your life and, and get out and do the work. So what do you want to do about the homelessness issue here in Oregon, especially, you know, the bigger cities as where it's Portland, Eugene, Salem, um, you know, we're seeing it overrun. What What's your plan for, for those areas? So it's really interesting. When, when I was a kid, uh, you know, living out of a car, going through that really difficult time, at that time they, they, they uh, called us throwaway kids. And it was you know, it was a lot of kids who experienced uh, family trauma and, and were getting out of really difficult situations. And I look at the situation that we have now, and what I see is this is really being fueled by addiction. And, and in some cases, mental health. So you have a whole population of people that are struggling with alcohol, methamphetamines, heroin, fentanyl, uh, and they're to the point where they burned every single bridge that that is possible to burn. And they are now um, at the bottom. Right. They're, they're really you know, they don't have a recourse at this point. And so they're camping in um, these urban areas. And so what we really need to do is address that underlying issue of addiction. Um, that that's going to be number one. So, Jessica, how do we get because whenever I've talked to people on the street, especially I mean, lately, not not 10 years ago, but in the last five years, it's like especially in, in Eugene, where I used to live, um, it would be like people came there because we've legalized measure 110. We legalized drugs, small right. amounts of drugs. We provide medical care. We provide everything. People come here because it's like Club Med for anyone in the in the in the United States who is who's homeless or addicted you know they and they 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 say we come here because we can get everything we need here and that's not a we don't we don't want to be attracting we want to be taking care of the people we have here that are truly homeless but not attracting them to come here as economic development yeah no i i agree we have a very permissive culture around this and uh, when when someone is addicted like that, right? They're they're looking for the the quickest way to perpetuate that illness, to perpetuate that addiction. Um, and we we are really good at doing the very bare minimum to keep some alive, someone alive, and and but also keep them addicted, right? Because we're not dealing with the real problem. Exactly. Uh, so we're enabling and not actually um, providing the support that someone needs to get healthy. Uh, so what I want to do is is really begin to address those. We need infrastructure. So the plan that I have is modeled after elderly care. Um, so it's community based. Um, you know, you can think of the traditional sort of elderly care community where you have three levels of care. The first is what you would see in memory care residents, where it's a closed facility, you can't just get up and leave. Then assisted living, and then independent living. And okay. we need to do that. Um, for people who are struggling with these severe addictions um, that are on our streets, that are urban camping. And we need to start with that most secure level of care uh, and, and get them on the right medication, get them, allow them to detox, deal with the mental health. And then once they're healthy enough, they can start making decisions for themselves. Um, and we've got to, you know, get them rehabilitated to the point where they can rejoin the community the way they need to. 
See, I agree with you. I think every person I've ever, and I've had lots of friends who are from addiction and, yeah. and as, as friends now, and they're successful, but they say the thing that got them was getting put in jail or putting, you know, getting, getting caught, getting locked up, something happening to force them to think about their life that way. And we don't, we don't do that. Now we, I see now where Eugene's, you know, not mentioning homeless, but that's really what they're doing. And they're trying, you know, just the fact that they won't mention that word, it's not a bad word. It's a it's an actual thing, and it's that they won't mention it. It's that they, it's political. They don't want their little tootsie rolls stepped on. Oh, worried so about hurting someone's feelings or something yes. like that. Listen, you know we gotta look. This is a situation where people need a swift kick in the butt or in the ass or whatever you want to say. But we've got to get this done. This is not um, this is not okay. And and the best way we can show people that we really care is by getting them healthy. And that means they can't go around and perpetuate their addiction. They've got to do the work and, and we'll help you, um, but but you have to participate. What's the other big issue for you in Oregon right now? I mean, if you look at another big issue that you really want to tackle, what would that be, Jessica? Yeah, so there's a couple. I think that the, uh, the next is education. You know, if we look at um, how people get to where they are, where they're really struggling long-term financially as an adult, um, it, it, in many cases, it really starts with having a, um, a poor education. And we've had that in Oregon for a long time. We're not graduating kids who are ready to compete in what we have now, which is a global job economy, right? A job, global job market. Um, and so we've got to refocus on you know, the core academics, reading, writing, math, critical thinking skills, um, and then give parents actually also the support to help their kids be successful. Because we've got, we've got support for kids, but we don't actually have a lot of support for training parents on how to support their kids going through education. So that's going to be a big deal. Um, and then I want to put in place a statewide apprenticeship model starting in high school and keep kids engaged in learning a career. Don't you think, I think one thing we've learned from COVID is, um, you know, you know and now the importance of electricians, yeah. and contractors, and plumbers, and all those people that are really family wage jobs. And we've been guiding kids to underwater water basket weaving careers, and you know, and international studies. Which where's that going to get you? It's like we need to be targeting kids at, at these jobs that really, when the when the shit hits the fan. I don't need another intellectual. Yeah. I need a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, even those people that go on to have engineering careers or go on to be intellectuals, those skills are still important. I learned yeah. my skills that the, you know, my business is microchip manufacturing. I learned those skills at work by practicing them. Uh, and that's incredibly effective and really important in keeping kids engaged. How do you instill that sense of work back in people? I'm, I'm doing a, a video for a, a longtime businessman in Eugene who passed away um, in his 90s. He had a great career. But one of the things he said, um, and I quote this down because I thought it was so profound. You're never going to make any. His name was Ross Murray. He said, you're never going to make anything of yourself working eight hours a day, meaning you have to work more than eight hours a day. He was one of those old time people that's like, you just keep working because you love it and you want to be, you want to bless your community, but you also want to make money and a living. And how do you instill that back in our in the Oregonians that that work is is gives us value and it's important? Yeah, I think part of that is you've got to inspire people, right? I mean, people have to feel good about the work that they're doing. And one of the greatest lessons that I learned is 
one of my first jobs was at Pizza Hut, right? And and I was I was terrible at making pizzas. <laughs> and I thought to myself, if I don't put the work in now um, and get an education and you know p- being willing to make that investment in myself, this is what I'm going to be potentially stuck doing, and I don't like it. And and so that's what I did. I, I invested in myself by putting in the actual work. And right now we've got a culture of uh, people growing up that um, that is going in that opposite direction. Right. It's all about the the exchange. You know, how much are you going to pay me? And are you know my time is so valuable that that I am sort of unwilling to provide more of my time um, and the time it needs to actually do the work and learn and grow into a career because that doesn't happen overnight. No, it's I want to be successful, but I don't want to do the work to get there. It's kind of yeah. like, you know, the chicken making the bread and nobody wants to help out. Well, Tim, I mean, we're being taught that in school. I mean, kids are being taught that by professors, right? right. You know, make so, sure you get what you're worth. Timber management. What, what yeah. do you want to do? Go ahead and talk about that a little bit. I think that's a huge issue in Oregon. Is and I think the way that um, we've been talking about it on both sides of the aisle is actually, um, you know, we're making this mistake by making it all about big timber or all about the environment. Um, and we've got to talk about this issue in a much more holistic way, right? If we have a forest that's overgrown, that is unhealthy, um, that is susceptible to these big, big fires, um, that's a problem for our watershed, for our environment, um, and for, for cities and, and small towns. Like I live in Southern Oregon and we had uh, two of our towns burned down. We've had smoke yeah. every single year for the last five years. Uh, and so it's, it's really important that we begin to recognize that. And I tell people that, look, if you're concerned about climate change and you're concerned about the deforestation that's happening out in the Amazon, we just burned a million acres in the Northwest. This is important and we've got to pay more attention and get in there and really manage this as, as a natural resource asset that it is and make sure that we're being more resilient and more responsible. You know, maybe we need to call um, forestation um, climate change assistance because, you know, planting trees is the best carbon filter you can find. And, you, and so here we've got all these environmental type folks fighting the, 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 the management plans when that's actually going to help fight the greenhouse gases, you people. You're, 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 this makes no sense. And then everybody else just goes along like sheep and follows the gun. This is, we, we, Oregon can be one of the solutions to climate change. Yeah. Because we are growing trees. So stop telling us to stop doing that and we're providing jobs. So, you know, and no more forest fires or at least limiting them. We've got to limit it. I'll tell you something that'll probably, if you don't know this, it'll blow your mind, right? So when you have BLM, so BLM land or state managed or even federal land that burns completely, you know, forest is destroyed. We are only able to salvage four percent around four percent of that timber now it's burnt it's not gonna it's not really gonna come back um four percent that is the same amount that you're allowed to potentially harvest from a a live and healthy forest there is no distinction from something that's going to be completely devastated by fire and something that's growing and thriving right? right And that leaves uh, room for another fire hazard because you have, and it's dangerous. You have these tree stands that are there that are dead. Um, They fall over, they decay, they emit more carbon, and we're not allowed to take them out when we can. 
When that happens on private or working forest lands, they clear it all out. They leave, you know, certain sections alone for habitat and, and you know, to, to help fertilize the ground. They replant almost immediately. And now you've got a chance for that to sort of revive itself, right? Um, but but we, don't, we don't think look at things in that holistic way. We really yeah. need to. No, because it all becomes political. So they, the, the federal yeah. government doesn't manage the forest because it'll make the environmental people mad. And when, yeah. when and I shouldn't even say environmental people. I think we're all environmental. If you live we in are. the Northwest, we are. We all are con we conservationists, maybe. We care about, you know, loggers are the most conservationist people I know. That's why they're out there working. Why would they destroy their very job by uh, wanting to destroy the timber? And, and, and yet they have the message. Okay, so the last thing I want to ask you yeah. is how do you stand out? I mean, in, in this, in this how, I don't know how many Republicans there are. There's like 20. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of candidates. It's got to be really tough to kind of break out of that. Um, what do you, how do you do that? And just kind of talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, it is. I mean, you got to get out and meet as many people as possible. Um, of course, fundraising is really important, but it's it's about connecting with Oregonians around issues that are not necessarily partisan. These are these are issues that people are challenged with every day. I mean, you think about rising inflation and how expensive it has become to live in Oregon. We have had a 200% increase in the cost of homes since 2000, 200% here. So people who grow up here haven't been able to buy homes. And in addition to that, we're not building more homes because there's so much bureaucracy. There's so many barriers in order to actually get these projects launched that we're just paralyzed, right? right. And so we, we need new leadership um, so that we can start moving forward that is going to actually streamline the operation of some of these state agencies so we can get get the core functions going again and you know build housing, improve our education system, become business friendly again so we broaden out our tax base, you know, the, the practical things that that actually help a state be healthy and functional. Okay, so the last thing, how did what what excites you? What, why do you want to be governor of Oregon? Just to tell people just in your own, you know, kind of just give me, I don't, you won't give me a spiel because you're not, I can just tell already. No, I like you. Not, you, not, you, know, <laughs> you wouldn't know a spiel if you had one. You, you're not like that. I like that. About yeah, and I, mean, I don't even think it's so much as want to be governor. We need a new governor. We need a new direction. We need a new standard bearer for our party, right? The Republican party is, is, um, has some really big challenges. You see some of the infighting at the party level, right? <laughs> um, we, we need somebody different that's going to come in there. That's going to be, the CEO of our state, right? That is really important to have someone who's got a business background. And so I saw the need. I think it's really important. Um, and I'm willing to contribute my my time and my expertise um, into this role so that we can get back on track. Well, good luck to you. And you. I wish you well. And don't let anybody tell you What's your plan B? When I ran for Secretary of State, Nate, what's your plan B? I said, I don't have a plan B, because if you have a plan B, you're not serious about plan A. Oh, so, I know what it's going to be. I'm going to go back and run my business, raise my kids. <laughs> right. You'll see your family again. I do that anyway. <laughs> but it'd be nice to have a, little, a young family in the in the governor's mansion, too. That'd be kind of yeah. fun. Well, I don't know if we've ever had that, have we? I don't think so, no. And so you, you'll be the first. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica, thank you so much. And say hi to Michelle. Thank you. I will. All right. See you later.
So again, that's Jessica Gomez. Um, I like her. I think she's a real nice, normal person, you know, who's really, really smart. And obviously uh, knows how to work more than eight hours a day because uh, she brought herself up the good old fashioned way. And I'm not going to say by the bootstraps because I'm so sick of that saying. It's just regular. It's what Oregonians used to do. That's who we are. We work hard. Um, we don't expect other people to pay our bills. We don't expect other people and we don't shy away from controversy and we, and, and come on, Eugene city council, use the word it's homelessness. Okay. It's not a bad thing. I mean, it's a bad thing that happens, but it's, if you don't say it, if you don't use the word, you're just playing games. So if you really want to do something about it, to label the issue, what it is, it's homelessness. And that's what you're trying to do because people in town are sick of the mess and the garbage and they're sick of the uh, increased crime and that's in Portland as well so maybe it's time city leaders stand up and start doing something because I'll tell you what if you don't do it um, I'm not threatening you I don't live there but you know what people are done and you're going to see it in May and then you're going to see it again in November and uh, they're they're done with all of this so that's how it is um, I'm Rick Dancer uh, glad to be here tomorrow night we have um, our Elements Health Club and a, a woman who is working with people with Parkinson's um, on different programs and they're seeing amazing results. So Kim Stark's going to be talking to her on Wednesday. There's a, um, a little thing turned up in a Missoula school district recently um, where it was a, a last minute assignment that was given to kids, not explained, but asking them questions about their sexuality and their classmates' sexuality. Well, it didn't go over with a lot of parents very well, and they're up in arms, and they contacted me and said, we want to come on your show. So they're going to be on here on Wednesday um, to talk about that. And then on Thursday, we're going to remember Chris Kilcullen, a police officer with Eugene, who was murdered uh, in a traffic stop 11 years ago. And on Friday is the anniversary of that date. And they're going to have a big, a, a big um, memorial honoring thing out where the, the killing happened out on 52nd and uh, Thurston. And so we're going to do something before that with some police officers and talk about Chris and what that all means. Because you know what? If you don't back the blue, um, <laughs> well, you probably shouldn't be here. <laughs> but you know what? There are there are force. And I think all the cities that uh, were, were blasting the blue um, are now groveling to get them back because they did a really not the blue city leaders did a really stupid thing and now they're having the, their communities are paying the price for it so uh, you you better be back in your blue um i'm rick dancer again thank you jessica for being here alan thanks for the short notice of being here bill london thank you so much we appreciate you share this on your page you guys because sometimes facebook tries to limit where i can go and we work around so that's how we do things here. See, they don't listen to the copy here. Only if I write it, but if it's on here in my voice, they don't hear it. You learn the tricks. You just learn how to work around things. That's life. You I'm, I'm a dancer. You dance around the things. You got to find ways to do it. Sometimes you dip. Sometimes you jiggy. It's whatever you got to do. But you keep on going. You don't let them get you down. Never let them get you down. Keep talking, Oregon. Use your 